Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody. Wonderful to have you with us for this edition of the Great America Show. We're still growing this little acorn by leaps and bounds, thanks to you. We appreciate your support and sharing part of your day with us as together we fight for truth and justice in the American way. Please be sure to tell your family and friends about us, about the Great America Show, and please listen in. We call the show The Great America Show because that's exactly what America is. We're proud of this great country, and we say so without apology to anyone, to President Biden, to Dr. Fauci, or whomever. And we're here to make sure all who would drag us down fail, and all who are in uniform, who work so hard, who put their lives on the line to keep this land free and our nation great, all have our support and whatever it takes to succeed in keeping this republic of ours vibrant and vigorous and God willing in perpetuity. And yes, we're dedicated to those working men and women, those small business people in this country who are the very heart of the nation, our middle class and all who aspire to it. God bless you and God bless this great country of ours. Now, you might be getting the impression I'm a little fired up today, and you would be right. And my guess is you'll understand why when we take up some of the events that are taking place, some of the issues facing the country right now, and this hapless, heartless aggregation of leftists who mean to reshape the country, to remove our rights as citizens, to crush Christianity, while destroying the American family, our capitalist system that brought prosperity to not only hundreds of millions of Americans, but to people all around the world. And now to the matters at hand. Communist China's President Xi is at it again, trying to intimidate the world while his own country is threatened by another wave of perhaps two variants of the Wuhan coronavirus he unleashed on an unsuspecting world. This is the Beijing Winter Olympics approach. President Xi telling the West, do not engage in a cold war with all powerful communist China. He did everything but tell President Biden to bow down when he hears the words President Xi spoken. Joining us now is one of America's foremost experts on China, indeed on global security and geopolitics, and a great American, our good friend, Gordon Chang. Gordon, great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much, Lou. This, uh, let, let's start with President Xi uh, deciding it was time for him to tell the world not to even think about a Cold War, much less a hot one, uh, with the all-powerful communist Chinese uh, uh, People's Liberation Army uh, at hand. Uh, what do you make of it? Your thoughts? Yeah, when uh, Xi Jinping talked to Davos, which he has a habit of doing, 
he always has these 30,000 foot generalities about how the world needs to come together, how everyone needs to cooperate, how we shouldn't have trade wars, how we shouldn't do this, how we shouldn't do that. And, and that's exactly what we heard a couple of days ago. Um, but I think that even Davos is starting to get a little tired of that because the reality is very different. Just to give you an example, um, while China was uh, uh, ravaged by at least two variants, the Omicron and the Delta, and maybe a new one, mm -hmm. um, what they were trying to do, Lou, was to say, well, look, this Omicron came from Canada on the surface of an envelope. And so therefore, <laughs> don't buy foreign products anymore, Oh, which is... I I'm sorry, I've got to say here, if I may interrupt you, I apologize. But I mean, that's so ludicrous and so stupid that it's unbecoming uh, President Xi. Uh, it's unbecoming anyone who gives a damn about truth. How dare he? And isn't, isn't his country, uh, those who know about it, embarrassed by such a proclamation? You know, I think that Chinese officials below him must be embarrassed, um, but he's certainly not. And what he's doing by saying these things is he's expecting foreigners like Biden to repeat them as a sign of obedience. So, yes, China does have all of these absurd statements that the ruler makes, um, but we're expected to not only listen, but to follow and tremble and obey. My gosh. I, and what's, of course, disconcerting is we don't have a good read on, on Biden's, uh, we know something about his state of mind, and it's not uh, either good or pleasant, but we don't know what he's thinking about China, what he's agreed to, and what he's not, if anything. Uh, so he is really, uh, it's an incredible thing to say. Uh, he's an unknown quantity as we are faced uh, with these national security threats from Beijing. Yeah. One thing that we do know in terms of broad outline is that Biden does not consider China to be America's number one national security threat. He believes that climate change is. But climate change hasn't killed 855,000 Americans in the last couple of years. But the virus did. And we know, Lou, that this virus probably came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We know that, let's say, 95%. But there's something 100% we do know, and that is Xi Jinping made decisions to spread this disease beyond China's borders once it got out into the Chinese public. They lied about transmissibility. And while they were locking down their own country, they were trying to force other countries to take arrivals from China without travel restrictions or quarantines. You put just those two things together, and there are more, but just those two things together, yeah. it shows that they wanted to spread this disease. This is the first time in history that one nation has attacked all the others. Yeah, it, it, it's really true. And as I said at the time, and, and, and you know this, uh, in uh, early uh, 2020, I said this is the moral equivalent. Of, of murder to allow this virus to be uh, to be spread across the world without a warning when they knew precisely what they were doing and the impact of it uh, and the lethality of that virus. You're absolutely right. This is murder. Um, so 5.5 million people around the world outside China who died from this disease, we should consider each one of those a murder. No question about it. And we also should consider what in the world uh, is to be done uh, if there are now, as it appears there will be, 
subsequent waves uh, that uh, look like they're going to, uh, if they do not uh, appear first uh, in Europe, it appears that they're going to be uh, present in China, just as the Beijing so-called Winter Games begin. Uh, this has got to be a nightmare for President Xi, for the Communist Party, and, uh, and for China itself. Yes. I mean, in Beijing, they're reporting Omicron cases. But some people are saying, Lou, that this is a new variant, one that has yet to be identified. And we don't know its virulence and we don't know its transmissibility. Now, these reports are unconfirmed. But the point is that China is not cooperating with the United States, with the World Health Organization. It's not cooperating with anybody in trying to get to the bottom of what's occurring in Beijing. So we have all these athletes, reporters, journalists, uh, officials all going over to China. And they're going to come back perhaps with something even more nasty than what we've seen up to now. Yeah, and I'm really sort of surprised at Comcast and NBC, uh, the broadcasters of the Olympics, uh, that they're not saying more about the Uyghurs, uh, their captivity, their slaughter, uh, their, their awful human rights abuses. Uh, because, you know, I, every time you look at an NFL football game, it says, be love, uh, stop hate. Uh, but there's absolute silence, silence from NBC on the oppression of the communist Chinese against the Uyghurs, uh, the concentration camps, the abuse and the deaths. Is it, aren't you shocked that they have not, not uh, responded at all? Uh, to the host country's uh, absolute bar barbarism? Yeah. To, you know, to be clear, what China is doing is committing acts of genocide, as defined in Article 2 of the Genocide Convention of 1948, and it's engaged in other crimes against humanity, which includes the mass detentions, the killings, the rapes, the forced slavery, organ harvesting, the imprisonment of children, these are atrocities, Lou, that are comparable to what the Third Reich was doing prior to the mass exterminations of 1941. You know, we always talk about never again, but we have a political class in our country and in other countries that are saying we don't care. Matter of fact, we don't care was what uh, the CEO of uh, Social Capital um, actually said, Chamuth uh, Palahapatiya. Um, in that All In podcast, where he said, no, I don't care what's going on with the Uyghurs, and then went on to say that human rights abuses, quote unquote, in the U.S. were comparable to those that in China, and then said the Chinese Communist Party was perhaps not a dictatorship. This is, <laughs> this is unspeakable. I mean, well, and, it's, un uh, if you it's unspeakable. And he is part owner of the Warriors, the NBA Warriors, for crying out loud. Where, yes. who, who have been at the forefront of running this country down uh, and uh, the disgusting social justice warrior, whatever they call it, social justice war. Uh, these, uh, this is just outrageous that the NBA would behave like this. Have an owner or anyone who would sit there and compare the United States and communist China. It's sickening, it's disgusting, and there hasn't been a word of protest. And LeBron James, I expect you to make some statement about this fool and what he said, because I know you've got to be as upset as I am that anyone would demean this country as he did.
what do you think? Shall we? Yeah. Should we expect a, a strong memo from the NBA to the, their 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 uh, owner of the uh, Warriors? Yeah, LeBron James in particular has a lot to answer for because, as you point out, Lou, he is uh, so easy off the trigger to criticize the United States. But he was endorsing a product, Nike, that was knowingly using um, essentially slave labor of Uyghurs, of a racial minority. Now, this occurred in, um, in Qingdao, and it was done through a South Korean subcontractor. But this subcontractor had a long-term relationship with Nike. Nike was auditing these premises, and it was clear just from looking at them that this was a concentration camp where Uyghur women were transported across China to this place from the western part of China to the eastern part of China to work in concentration camp-like facilities. So LeBron James should talk to the American people about that because he's told us that he actually is knowledgeable about all these issues. And so therefore he has a right to lecture us. <laughs> well, he has got a right uh, to, to lecture us with, uh, with false facts. Well, actually he does have the right, uh, but uh, he really shouldn't. You know, be sitting there talking nonsense and blathering, uh, you know, with all these virtue signals, uh, when in point of fact, what he's saying ignores the very, the very big reality here that the NBA is taking hundreds of millions of dollars from China to compromise its principles and its, and its, frankly, its debts uh, to the United States, uh, its home country. Uh, it's outrageous. Uh, and, and LeBron James, whatever his politics, that's fine. It's not fine uh, to, to, you know, I will put it this way. If LeBron James, this is the only thing that concerns him, then there's something really skewed about his uh, moral compass, because what the Chinese are doing uh, with the Uyghurs is offensive, it's wrong, it's criminal, uh, and it's disgusting and appalling. And by the way, LeBron James is a minor item in this compared to corporate American Wall Street, Wall Street that's inviting investors to pour their capital into China. Uh, corporate America, which is whether it's Walmart or Amazon, bringing in their products by the, the, the trillions of dollars uh, to, uh, to the American consuming public. It, it, it's just awful to think about the situation that, uh, that China is in. And by the way, we Americans are the reason for uh, that we are the ones to blame for the position of dependence that we put ourselves in, this position of supporting a communist nation. Uh, it, it's, it's insane that we have gotten ourselves into this, this mess. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Uh, just before talking about that, the one thing, though, in the NBA, we do have Enos Cantor, who on the day he became an American citizen last year, changed his name to Enos Cantor Freedom, because mm -hmm. he was so grateful to the United States. Yep. And he has spoken out on these Uyghur and other issues. And so at least there is one player who has stood for what's good in this world, and is become and proud to be an American. I, yeah. On your bigger point, Lou. In, in, in uh, his canter uh, freedom, it's incredible uh, that he uh, has this kind of courage and he is to be respected mightily by all of us for what he's done. And we owe him a great debt of gratitude. Uh, but his courage uh, speaks to the cowardice of the NBA and its craven greed 
to put money ahead of principle and the interest of the nation. Uh, it, it, it's awful. And the NBA should be excoriated on Capitol Hill for what it's uh, doing. The problem there is, of course, the radical Dems, the, uh, the lost left in this country uh, is aligned more with China than it is with American principles. And that is, of course, not only dangerous, but disgustingly so. Yeah. When you talk about Wall Street, uh, corporate boards, Walmart and Amazon, as you pointed out, they do see their interests more closely aligned with the elite in communist China than they do with their fellow Americans. And we know this because of what they do. The shipping of jobs by the tens of millions over to China, which has meant the impoverishment of Americans, which has meant despair, which has meant drug addiction, which has meant the destruction of communities and the small businesses that you talk about. This is critical. And in this, this coronavirus epidemic, the China flu, we have seen, um, because of economic forces, small businesses in the US fail. And they've failed because um, we have the likes of Amazon being able to take advantage of the situation. So you have Amazons, you got Walmarts, but you don't have those family businesses that built America. It's true. And uh, by the way, just a, an article came out from a former, uh, a, a former executive director of the uh, of the Black Caucus, Congressional Black Caucus, talking about illegal immigration has crushed uh, Black Americans and their job prospects and wage prospects over the course of the last 30 years, because that illegal labor has diminished wages, diminished benefits, and uh, economic opportunity, whether it be in the creation of a small business or large uh, for uh, Black Americans who otherwise would have had that opportunity, those wages, those higher wages, uh, and, and wealth. And now there's a greater disparity in, uh, in income and uh, net worth in this country than would otherwise have been the case. And, and I've been talking about this, as you know, for 30 some odd years. Uh, and finally, some people are starting to listen, but it's sure taken a lot of pain and economic loss for them to appreciate the reality of what I was saying 30 years ago. Yeah, those Americans who are most against this open border policy of the Biden administration are um, the poorest Americans for the reasons that you point out. But, you know, we have another couple of uh, critical um, vulnerabilities. We have fentanyl from China coming across right. our southern border in record quantities. And a country that can't defend its borders doesn't have sovereignty, as you've pointed out. And we know that um, there are been some very disturbing cases of people who's um, wanting to attack the U.S. coming across that southern border in recent right. months. Right. So this is going to be a terrorism issue, um, especially as the Iranians and others take advantage of this open southern border. And the, speaking of the Ar Iranians, there we're in a, we're in a, a, another mess because there is no doubt whatsoever that they are proceeding uh, quickly uh, and profoundly with their uranium enrichment program, which is to weapons grade. We also know that they are aligned with the uh, with communist China, and that is being felt. That new and stronger bond between those two countries 
uh, is being felt strongly, whether it be South, uh, Southeast Asia, whether it be the Middle East, uh, whether it in fact be uh, the, the Western Hemisphere. Yes, even in the last three or four days, the Iranian foreign minister has actually went to Beijing um, because they're talking about their strategic partnership deal, which has been in existence for a couple of years, but was announced only last year. This is the deal where China will invest somewhere upwards of $400 billion, maybe a little bit less. But also, um, this involves Chinese purchases of Iranian oil and gas in violation of UN sanctions, as well as, I'm sure, military cooperation, some of which has been announced. Other parts of that military cooperation, I'm sure, have been kept secret. We know that over the course of decades, China has uh, directed its um, nuclear weapons technology to the Iranians through the Pakistan um, black market network of AQ Khan, which Beijing supported. Um, when we look at the Iranian nuclear weapons program, it really has been aided substantially by Beijing. Right. And we know that that relationship is, is likely to get only stronger and more difficult for the United States and for Europe uh, to contend with. We also know that President Biden talking about uh, climate change is the, the great national security issue, yet he still ignores China, even on that level, because he's not saying anything about China's coal production that's at record levels is trying, as they try to uh, avoid an energy crisis in their country, if they, if they possibly can, by burning ever more coal. And yet there's no protest from the organizations, climate change organizations, climate uh, uh, crisis uh, countries that are focused on this mightily. There's not a word, not a peep from them about what China is doing to their environment and to the world's. The last couple of days, Lou, we learned that China's coal output for 2021 was up 4.7% over the previous year. And when we talk about climate change, if, if one says, as Biden does, that climate change is the number one national security threat, then what he should be doing is bringing our factories back to this side of the Pacific, right. because the transportation of materials to Asia and the uh, transportation of finished products from Asia to the United States um, accounts for a very substantial portion of the world's carbon dioxide right. emissions. Right. 15 of the largest container ships, it is often said, pour as much carbon into the air as all the world's cars. Now, one can argue about that statistic, but the point is that if you really believe climate change is the number one threat, then we should be hearing the president of the United States every single day talking about bringing our factories back. And by the way, that would solve many of our um, supply chain disruptions, which are now resulting in bare shelves in the United States as well as inflation. Yeah, and no one should forget who's responsible for this. It's easy to blame China, and they do uh, they do uh, obviously deserve part of that blame, a, a large portion of it. But it was, after all, U.S. multinationals, U.S. corporate America, uh, U.S. Wall Street uh, that decided it'd be just a grand idea to ship those expensive uh, to corporations, middle-class jobs from the United States and leave millions of Americans jobless and put those jobs in cheap foreign labor markets to 
put our production in cheap foreign labor markets, uh, cheap markets that didn't have uh, environmental controls and, and regulations uh, that had no labor restrictions whatsoever. So what we have, what we sowed uh, 30 to 40 years ago is now paying off in something called so quaintly supply chain disruption. It is this, this contraption is frankly collapsing around us and uh, the CEOs of the companies, uh, the US Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, the Business Lobby, Wall Street all deserve most of the blame for everything that this country is experiencing right now. Yeah, this is greed over patriotism. This is greed over the welfare of fellow Americans. We absolutely have to reverse this. You've been talking about this for decades, and now people are listening because it's so obvious that everything you said, Lou, about this was 100% correct. Well, you know, and there hasn't been a moment uh, when I was speaking to these issues that I uh, wasn't hoping that I was wrong. Uh, it's just the pain that it's caused this country, the economic loss that it's uh, cause this uh, country uh, is deep, it's profound, and uh, we hope can be overcome uh, in, the next, uh, in the next decade, perhaps, uh, but we have to turn our minds to it. Let's, let's turn to Hong Kong, uh, flight attendants being blamed for bringing the uh, Wuhan virus variant uh, to Hong Kong uh, and a police action taken. We're watching quite a different Hong Kong now that there is no uh, veil around it. There is no uh, fiction about two systems that the, now that Beijing is in control, right? Absolutely. Um, in 1984, um, China agreed to provide, to allow um, 50 years of a high degree of autonomy in Hong Kong uh, under the one country, two systems formula. That was to start on July 1st, 1997 when Britain, as they said, handed over Hong Kong to um, Beijing. And with the adoption of the national security law on June 30, 2020, we have seen Beijing um, basically take over Hong Kong and eliminate all forms of autonomy. We have seen the jailing of Jimmy Lai, um, the founder of Apple Daily, which is Hong Kong's main newspaper. And now in the last couple of weeks, uh, independent news sites, uh, Citizen News and Stand News have been shut down. Um, this is really uh, the end of Hong Kong as we know it. Um, people, are, both uh, expatriates and Hong Kong Chinese are leaving. And this is really um, a lesson of the value of the word of um, Beijing. You can't trust it. And this is important. It goes well beyond Hong Kong, as you know because we've got a president in the United States right now who wants a climate change agreement with China. And, and whatever one thinks of climate change, if you want to clean the environment, the last thing you do is you come to an agreement with Beijing because Beijing will not honor it. As we've seen, for instance, with this output in coal up 4.7% last year. I think the American people are coming to terms. And I, I by the way, when I say American people, I mean, including uh, the radical Dems, even the lost left in this country, uh, is now cognizant of the, the limitations of this president uh, and the inadequacy of the people that he's brought with him to Washington, DC, no matter how strongly uh, and compellingly uh, they feel they should be supporting him. 
they understand, and I think, as I said, most Americans understand, this president has no business authoring any initiative, authoring any legislation, uh, authoring any, any significant step on the part of the federal government. He was elected to be not, he was not elected with a mandate. He was elected uh, with a clear expectation that he would be a placeholder, a transitional president, and it is time for him to chirp down, not up. It is time for him to take it easy in the White House and relax. And it is time for the left uh, and the cartel of the far left that controls this presidency uh, to simply stand down because the American people are going to put up with it. More than half the people think that he is, uh, has his country in the wrong direction on nearly every uh, on nearly every major issue, but nearly every issue period in this country. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see much more from him, nor for that matter, from Schumer uh, and, and from Pelosi, because he is obviously incapable of leading the country. Uh, this last speech was a disgusting uh, assassination attempt against uh, conservatives and moderates uh, and Republicans uh, and anyone who is not on the extreme left of the Democratic Party. Your thoughts? Yeah. When I think about Biden, um, I think about his responsibilities to protect the American people from an uh, obvious Chinese enemy. Um, Biden did not raise the issue of the origins of COVID-19 during his two-hour phone call in February of last year when he spoke to Xi Jinping. Right. He didn't raise it in his November virtual meeting with Xi Jinping. He probably didn't raise it during his 90-minute phone call last September with Xi Jinping. We're talking about the deaths of over 850,000 Americans, Lou. And Biden's highest, most solemn responsibility is to defend the American people from foreign attack. China attacked the American people, took 850,000 Americans from us, and Biden doesn't raise the issue with uh, Xi Jinping at all. This is a dereliction of duty. And for this reason alone, plus the other reasons that you talk about, but for this reason alone, he should not be president of the United States. If he doesn't want to defend us, that's fine. But he should make sure that he's not inhibiting and uh, inhibiting us from protecting ourselves. Yeah, the the weakness and the vulnerabilities of the of the United States right now and its national security team, its commander in chief, are so so manifest, uh, so obvious uh, to world leaders, but particularly to Putin, to Xi, uh, that it is a very dangerous, difficult period for the United States. Uh, as we try to get through this period where we are without question leaderless, uh, we are without question in an extremely, extremely dangerous position. Uh, we, we always conclude, as you know, Gordon, with uh, our guest's uh, final word. You get the final word always on this show. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. Your thoughts? Lou, uh China declared a people's war, quote unquote, on the U.S. in May 2019. And we have a political establishment, which is Wall Street, the corporate boards, um, and uh, Washington, which doesn't understand the maliciousness of the regime. You, from the very beginning, have talked about China in blunt terms. You were the one, you were the only one talking about red China. And now the American people are coming around. 
But, you know, Lou, we are at risk. We are a far stronger country than China. But if we don't defend ourselves, we are going to lose our republic. So, Lou, thank you so much for all that you've done in protecting our great America. Well, Gordon, that's kind of you. And uh, I thank you for everything that you do for this country. Uh, and uh, we will stay in the fight, my friend. That's all we can do. Gordon Chang, thanks for being with us. Uh, we appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you next time. We're still hearing a lot about how much you enjoyed our interview with President Trump. And I can tell you, I certainly enjoyed it immensely. Simply put, Mr. Trump is the president who never quits working for working men and women, uh, for small business folks in this country. And he's still putting America first in every way. And man, do I miss our greatest president. I know you do as well. Just think how differently we'd be looking at the world right now were he in the White House instead of Mr. Joe Danger. Biden is a one-man national security threat. He is truly dangerous to have in the Oval Office. And if you haven't heard our talk with President Trump, just check out our podcast list and click on President Trump on Biden's blunders, rhinos, and winning. President Trump left office, as you well know, having made huge progress in securing our borders. Uh, I've often said that no president uh, in four years has done more uh, than President Trump. I still believe that. Uh, building uh, much of the promised wall, uh, despite the fierce and subversive uh, opposition of the radical Dems, uh, is no small achievement. Uh, fighting the rhinos in his own party, the deep state and the cartels, of course. No one likes to mention the cartels when we talk about the uh, corruption on the border. It is, believe me, on both sides of that border. The situation on our southern border is quite different after only one year of President Biden and his betrayal of our national sovereignty. Biden's complete sellout to corporate America, his bended knee to the cartels who are carrying on their sex trafficking and smuggling of illegal immigrants and deadly drugs across that border in never before seen numbers and quantities. Our national sovereignty obviously means nothing to the Biden administration nor the safety and security of the American people. Former Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Mark Morgan, just to give you a sense of how bad it is, says 3 million illegal immigrants have tried to cross that border in the first year of the Biden administration, and there has been no sign of any easing. We are obviously a nation in distress on many fronts, obviously, as well. Uh, whether it's our open borders, our runaway illegal immigration, unstoppable sex trafficking, massive drug overdose deaths, or runaway levels of violent crime in our major cities. The border, the border plays a fundamental part in it all. To take up this crisis we have with us today, uh, a, a good friend, an old friend, Jessica Vaughn. She's the Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Lou. I'm delighted to be talking with you. You know, as we go through the, the litany of issues that are fundamentally about that border being wide open, illegal immigration, un, <laughs> unchecked, uh, not even slowed down in point of fact, uh, it, it's right. really stunning that no one wants to think, in, in my judgment, 
about the corruption that has to exist on both sides of that border, uh, in the states uh, that border Mexico, and of course, in the northern states of Mexico. Your thoughts about the current crisis? Well, we have witnessed the fastest controlled collapse of border security in American history in the the 12 months that Joe Biden has been president. And we're going to be paying the price for it for decades to come in so many ways. Um, in the resettlement of all of these illegal aliens into the country, the enormous costs for states, the cost in public safety, uh, especially from the million or more gotaways who've come through that we have no idea who they are, whether they're terrorists, criminals, or whatever. And in the strengthening of the transnational criminal enterprises that are facilitating and managing and profiting off this, these Biden policies that have opened up our border. Uh, they are just getting stronger and stronger, and they're going to fight like heck to hold on to this lucrative business. Uh, and they can. Who is, uh, who is they? I think we really need to name names here. Who is the they that is that are profiting from these overdose deaths, uh, from the addiction that results from the majority of our of the major deadly drugs that cross that border every year? Uh, without that border being wide open, at least the majority of drugs being brought into this country would be stopped. Uh, who is it that's profiting? It's it's the several transnational cartels that run Mexico and the politicians and a lot of the law enforcement agencies there, whether it's Sinaloa or the Gulf cartel or the, you know, the ones that splinter off, they all have a piece of the territory that is next to the border and uh, the smugglers have to pay them for the privilege to bring people through. Nobody crosses on their own. You can't just wake up and say, I think I'll walk across the border today. You have to pay a smuggler who is paying a cartel for that plaza, that territory next to the border. But you know, there, what, there are also people it? on the US side profiting as well. Yes, I do know. Whether, yeah, whether it's the, the kids who are getting paid by the smugglers to bring people across in their cars or transport them on the other side of the border, or whether it's the NGOs that are getting huge contracts from the federal government to transport and counsel and relocate all of these illegal border crossers who are getting resettled into American communities by uh, the Biden administration. Uh, they're paying people, you know, to bring them by planes, trains, automobiles, charter bus, um, you you name it. That's how they're getting around to different parts of the country. And you you said uh, the, the the real, uh, I think, the touchstone, uh, those NGOs that are operating on both sides of the border. Uh, under the pretext of being accommodating uh, humane um, organizations only there to be helpful to those who might uh, uh, need uh, be uh, troubled or need medical attention, the NGOs, the non-government uh, non organizations. These NGOs are running what the cartels aren't. Is that a fair statement? 
Well, absolutely. And they are incentivizing the migrants to come take advantage of this criminal infrastructure. The UN is paying organizations to hand out cash cards in southern Mexico and northern Mexico to support these migrants on their journey. They're counseling them on how to um, to make a false asylum claim. They're uh, organizing buses to bring them from southern Mexico to northern Mexico. They're, they run shelters in the border towns to house people until they're, the, the smuggler that they're paying can organize their crossing. They, they are deeply into this game and you know talk about um the, the morality of all of this i i think there's nothing more immoral than having policies that enable uh these criminal organizations and others to make a profit off of uh people who've been uh incentivized to come to the border who've turned over their life savings to a criminal smuggling organization to try to get here to take advantage of the biden policies that's immoral to have people putting themselves in danger and taking advantage and and trying to do this putting their kids into the hands of smugglers to come here is it immoral jessica for the national corporate media to be in complicity with the Biden administration, with corporate America, that encourages these open border, uh, wide open uh, illegal immigration. Uh, is it immoral for a, a national media that ignores the, the terrific human toll that is paid every day because of those drugs, because of, of, of what these illegal immigrants are actually doing uh, to our wages uh, for Americans, hardworking Americans, often the most uh, low paid Americans uh, in the labor force. It is immoral uh, for them to take part in this big lie of characterizing this as some kind of a humanitarian crisis mm -hmm. um, of uh, turning their backs on the Americans who are harmed by these policies, as you said, and, and participating in this, um, this attempt to dupe Americans into thinking this is something that it isn't and acting like this is a force of nature when it's actually a predictable outcome of, de of deliberate policy choices that the Biden administration has made and, um, and knowing that they are gonna reap certain benefits from it politically and even financially. You and I have been talking about these issues for decades. And, and I, I would like to just everybody to focus on some realities here. You talked about this crisis, but it's a crisis of our making. It's a crisis because of our making because our taxpayer money goes to those NGOs who are supporting criminal enterprises. They are and transnational uh, cartels, as you put it, the Mexican drug cartels is what we're talking about. Uh, they have uh, relationships and networks that, with the Chinese triads as well. And that's where this, most of the fentanyl is trafficked from China to Mexico into the United States. And the result are at least 100,000 overdose deaths every year killing Americans without comment. And the fact of the matter is the Democrats know it, the Republicans know it. Guess what? Every mayor, every governor in this country knows it. 
and they are, well, with great exceptions, including uh, the state of Texas, uh, the state of Florida, uh, where they are making every effort to try to stem the, the, the flood of illegal immigration, sex trafficking, and deadly drugs across that border and into their states. Right? Yeah, absolutely right. And it, it goes further than a lot of people realize. I sat at a hearing a few months ago um, put on by Senate Republicans and listened to a mother of a, a young woman who had overdosed on uh, fentanyl that had been cut into ordinary sort of recreational street drugs that are marketed to young people making bad choices who have no idea that they're ingesting fentanyl. They think they're, they're taking some kind of a party drug and it turns out to be laced with fentanyl. I mean, there is a human cost to allowing this open border. A hundred thousand uh, people dead alone yeah. uh, from opiates and fentanyl. They, they, the, the state of Rhode Island not long ago made a bust where they found someone with 41 kilos of fentanyl. Good Lord. Which is an, an extraordinary amount of it. And of course, it was being trafficked by, in this case, uh, Dominicans, uh, illegal aliens from the Dominican Republic with fake IDs um, that they got from stealing the social security numbers of U.S. citizens from Puerto Rico um, that enable them to hide in plain sight here and get driver's licenses and so on. But yeah, it's a, it's a horrible tragedy that is occurring before our eyes and that is being ignored by the open borders advocates. The open borders advocates. You know, there was one president who decided to take on the cartels. And that, of course, was Donald Trump. The right. 45th president is the only president who's had the guts to say that he was going to take on these cartels. And guess what the result is? Every corporation, seemingly every corporation, every uh, business on those borders, every commerce uh, lobbyist, uh, every business roundtable lobbyist, Wall Street lobbyists went after his hide. And they don't want to talk about the cartels. They don't want to talk about the human cost. And by the way, just recently, the former executive director of the Black Caucus Foundation talked about something you and I have been talking about for decades, the cost to American minorities who are who then find themselves in competition with these illegal immigrants. And by the way, that's just the most benign damage that's being done to the country. Uh, it's not as violent as uh, the overdose deaths. It's not as uh, profound uh, for uh, the country in some respect uh, as all of the other economic impacts. But for, for African-Americans in particular, uh, it's devastating. It right. It's a big deal. It's the denial of, of job opportunities because of unfair competition from employers that would rather hire cheap illegal labor. Um, it's, you know, cutting off uh, these kids opportunities to build a life for themselves of, of good employment. Um, so the and states, it's destroying the their schools and neighborhoods, too. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's devastating. That's all there is to it, to every, every American uh, one way or the other except for those who are in direct profit of it. Uh, and so what are we, what are we going to see happen? I, 
Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has done a marvelous job of mobilizing his state and trying to secure that border. Uh, anybody else come to mind uh, in, in the states uh, with particularly interesting initiatives to try to stop this illegal immigration? Yes, there are. And, and yes, Governor Abbott in Texas is doing a good job. He's trying to prevent people from getting into the country to begin with and to backstop the border patrol in catching the gotaways and so on. But there are some other states, you know, every state, of course, is a border state. Um, you know, yep. when, the, when the border is not controlled, that's almost a cliche nowadays. But so other governors are trying things as well. Governor DeSantis in Florida has issued a series of executive orders that are doing a number of important things. And one of them is to try to prevent um, these uh, illegal border crossers from being transported into Florida, not only to stop the smuggling, but also to stop the, the NGOs from getting contracts with the federal government to bring them in. Um, and, and so that's really important to just not play along with this catch and release policy and say, you know, they're not coming here that easily. He's also going after employers. He's empowering law enforcement agencies to enforce state laws that, um, if enforced, help disrupt illegal employment and identity theft of the kind that we've been talking about. So there, there definitely are things that states can do beyond the lawsuits, which are also important as well. I don't, I don't want to discount them uh, to fight it out in court to try to. Um, well, we can. Don't you think we can discount just about everything that's been done to this point? Because we're looking at a, a crisis, a disaster on our border. We are watching illegal immigrants by the millions coming into this, uh, this, this country. And what are they doing? They're going to be counted in it, and we're counted in the census. Those states where those illegal immigrants are will attract more districts for Congress, more representation in Congress against every citizen in the country who simply, simply will be underrepresented because of these millions of illegal immigrants who are coming into the country. And by well, the way, how many of them will be able to vote illegally? Because no one is watching it, certainly not the Republican Party. Well, that's the, um, you know, uh, a two pronged strategy they have is to one is to flood the districts with new people who aren't here illegally to, to boost certain districts, but also to ha pass voting laws that make it tough to crack down on illegal voting itself. So put the two together. And that's a recipe for um, for diluting, if not denying the votes and the will of Americans. Yeah, it's it, it's. Absolutely horrific. Uh, why, why don't we have somebody in Congress that is a champion of uh, the middle class, uh, working man and woman, uh, a champion of small business who says this is tearing us to pieces? Oh, sure, there are some small businesses that benefit principally in Texas, Louisiana, a number of other places. Uh, because they are, are in, uh, you know, residential sales, they are in, uh, you know, the rental business, whatever it may be. Uh, it's just stunning to me that no one wants to see the real result of all of this. And, and by the way, why don't we ask ourselves at the same time, who's, who's paying off the border patrol? Why, what does it cost to, to bribe a border patrol agent? And how many are taking bribes? And why can't we get 
a, a border patrol that stands up against this onslaught? Well, I, there's always a, a risk of corruption, but I think we we can get a border patrol that stands up against this as long as, first of all, we're not constantly enriching the cartels, giving you know them more money with which to corrupt public officials, but also through policies and and not overwhelming the border patrol with all of this illegal migration, um, so that they can, if they're not overwhelmed, they can do their job and they can how take many, the Jessica, time to train and more- monitor. How many more Border Patrol agents do we have today that we had a decade ago or two decades ago? We actually have a lot more now than we used to. And and that's what I'm saying. And we've got a bigger problem. Not more Border Patrol agents, but letting them do their job and not having policies that undermine. I don't want to let them. I don't want to let them do their job. I want a Border Patrol that wants to do its job. Uh, Leadership who make certain that they're doing their job, a Congress that has oversight, a president who demands it. Uh, This is madness what we're watching. We're building another giant bureaucracy in the federal government and people walk around uh, on the border saying, I'm a border patrol agent. The only problem is they're not patrolling anything. They're not apprehending anyone. Uh, and if they do, they're released into the country. And by the way, it's not it's not like they the, the illegal immigrants or the sex trafficking. Uh, those people sort of hide in the dark and make their way north. Uh, they're being picked up by government chartered aircraft and deposited in the dead of night in communities all over this country by the Biden administration. And nobody wants to focus on it. Well, we have to have hope that there are enough people out there, whether they're in the Border Patrol or in ICE, who are going to outlast the Biden administration and, said, and remember but, what oath they took and and know what they owe to the citizens of this country who pay their salaries and, and, and who they want to serve. Um, you know, I, I like to think that they're going to outlast these bad policies. It's going to take a while. It's painful. And some of this damage, frankly, can't be undone. But, you know, we have to get up and go to work every day and keep fighting for it. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand why. But getting up and going to work every day and fighting when we've been doing the same things over and over and over since 1986, when the Reagan amnesty uh, took place, uh, we have been uh, absolutely uh, deceived by the Democratic Party, uh, which has become nothing more than an agency for illegal immigration, for the drugs uh, that are being shipped by the cartels, sex traffic. And make no mistake, they're aligned with the cartels, whether intentionally or otherwise. They're aligned. Corporate America is aligned with those cartels. Uh, and their obscene, uh, corrupt uh, profits. It, it's disgusting. We it can't. Is, but I mean, you know, who, I mean, what, I'm what optimistic. Are the world, Donald Trump let me, let me shows people let that. Me, let me let me finish one thing. Okay. Why should we not be direct and honest about what we're dealing with here? We have a corrupt America that is permitting this. You mentioned the Dominicans, the gangs that come up from the Dominican, primarily on the on the East Coast. Uh, but we've also got MS-13, all of the Central American gangs that are operating here. And when I say gangs, I'm talking about transnational gangs uh, and cartels that are 
in, in beta, they've invaded every city and are part of this crime wave uh, that is sweeping America. We've got to be honest about what's going on here. We've got to do more than say this is a policy issue. This is a damn existential issue for American society. It really is when when you consider the corruption and the violence that enables it can infect uh, our 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 government and our communities, um, particularly you know with the likes of MS thirteen um, and their extortion rackets and the way that they can uh, you know because they make so much money and instill so much fear in communities they can. Um, become extremely powerful because people are afraid of them. And we need to say, we need to say that something like 40% of the unaccompanied minors, or excuse me, 40% of the MS-13 members arrested by ICE in recent years originally came here by una as unaccompanied minors. And so to the extent that we allow um, the these kids to keep coming here and released into our communities, we're enabling MS-13 to grow its ranks. And the more they become uh, entrenched here, the harder they're going to be to uproot. There, there have been towns in California where um, political leaders have been bought off by MS-13, perhaps not directly, and maybe they're too dim-witted to realize where this money is coming from, but it is a corrupting and can be a deadly corrupting influence, uh, the same way that the mob and other um, gangs and uh, criminal organizations have done it in the past throughout our history. Um, but, but yeah, we can't sugarcoat it. We can't deny it's happening. We can't cover it up by saying these are just kids seeking asylum or, you know, people fleeing for a better life. They, we are allowing is, criminal enterprises the, to flourish here. Yeah. And of course that is the fantasy perpetrated by the chamber of commerce, by the business roundtable, the NGOs that you spoke of. It is the fantasy uh, that uh, so many people want to believe because that's easier than believing their lying eyes as they watch family after family be destroyed by these drugs uh, and lives uh, devastated, if not destroyed. Uh, it, it's just, it's a terrible thing. And, and we have an administration as we conclude here, Jessica, I, and I want to give you the last word as we, as we uh, try to do every uh, podcast. I want to give you the last word because the Biden administration is trying to, to break our, our border. No, no doubt about it, our immigration system. Uh, they want the open border society to prevail. Uh, they're defying federal law, the Supreme Court, uh, the remain in Mexico policy. Uh, you know, I, I, you know the numbers far better than I ever will, but we're talking about hundreds instead of tens of thousands uh, who are uh, who should be in Mexico on the remain uh, policy. It, it, this administration is flouting the law flouting uh, its responsibility to, uh, to act in the national interest. It is absolutely a crisis, but it's also a disgusting uh, abandonment and betrayal uh, that the American people uh, are the, right now, the, the passive victims of. Your, your last word. Well, you're right. I mean, it is disturbing to see that the Biden administration is willing to even behave in contempt of federal courts after having been ordered to re 
restart the successful Remain in Mexico program, only subjecting 300 people to it when there were more than 170,000 people caught at the border. This is how far they're willing to go to enact their no borders agenda, to defy federal court orders, all in service of something they think that is going to keep them in power uh, for years to come. But we're also seeing a realignment of even some mainstream politicians who understand what Donald Trump showed, which is that Americans think borders are fundamental to our sovereignty and want to see them enforced, and that that's a a politically winning position that they all need to adopt if they want to stay employed in in government uh, and, and representing American voters, that ultimately the people's voice has to be followed if they want to keep their jobs. Yeah, unfortunately, the people are, are being told by by government uh, that they are uh, the people's enemy, uh, whether it's the attorney general saying that uh, he, he is going to go after parents and school board meetings as domestic terrorists, uh, whether it's the January 6th committee, uh, which is just a rank sham Soviet uh, style, Inquisition. Soviet era. Uh, show trial. It's disgusting. It's disgusting how corrupt this country is and the passivity with which uh, uh, we seem to be ch- uh, checked by our our, our government. Uh, Jessica, thanks for everything you do. I hope you'll come back soon. We've got a lot to talk about. This crisis is only going to get worse and much bigger. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Jessica Vaughn, the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you, Jessica. My great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.